Um, and I had to think back as I was preparing for this, uh, for this message uh, to about a year ago when uh, uh, Diane and I took a trip to Phoenix, Arizona in the midst of winter. Uh, and on that trip, we headed out of Phoenix one day on a, on a trip up to Tortille Flats. Our goal was to find a restaurant at the end of the road in a small gold mining community. And uh, we found that restaurant, kind of a unique name, Superstition Saloon. Kind of not too good a name to mention here in church on a Sunday morning. But uh, that's where they had food, so we, uh, we ate there. After we finished the, the meal, we stepped outside, we began to kind of explore and walk down the boardwalk, and we came to this sign. I've always interested in signs and seeing what they say, and, and here was a, a sign that caught my eye called the Dutchman's Inn, and, and it told the story of Jacob Waltz, who died in 1891. He was a gold miner and described as Arizona's most celebrated scoundrel. How would you like to have that affixed to your name? He was a liar, a drunkard, an avid game. He avoided gainful employment, and he dug for gold. Many of us would say, well, I'd, I'd enjoy doing that. But on the other hand, he killed hombres who attempted to follow him back to the gold mine that he had discovered. The thing that he loved more than sin, what was said on this sign, was a good meal. He met a young woman who made, a good, uh, who made good food and he married her. And before he died, he covered the gold mine where he was digging out his gold. I guess he decided if he couldn't take the gold with him, he didn't want anyone else to. And uh, he covered it up. And I understand that even today, there's about 8,000 people that scour this area and looking for that entrance. Haven't found it yet. So if you're in that area, you may want to look. Um, the sign said that the legacy he left was this eatery, the Dutchman Inn, for all to enjoy. Wow, I thought, a legacy. And it made me think and to realize that all of us are leaving a legacy, whether good or bad. Now, fast forward another week after we were in Arizona, and I'm sitting at our staff meeting at MB Foundation, and John Wiebe, our CEO, shares a video clip of an individual, Dr. Virginia Cronley, age 103, who is investing to reach unreached people. A couple things about that, and then I want us to view this about a five-minute video clip. It's an interview between a director of a mission organization who is sitting at her dining room table and is thanking her for her investment in ministry, in helping bring hope to lost people. And, and as you listen and as you hear her focus in life, I want you to think about her focus, her legacy, in comparison with Jacob Welch. So let's listen. I'm not really trained in fundraising, but that I know what I would like to do and I'm putting it in his hands because I know that he knows 
where he wants us to go. The Lord has showed us a way to reach whole people groups with a process that is contagious and can't be stopped. We say beyond not only makes leaders and disciples, we multiply them. One of those teams that you helped train have in three years helped start a movement where over 2,000 churches have been started from nothing and over 15,000 baptized believers and they're just beginning. And these churches are starting churches and sharing the good news, they're feeding the poor, they're healing the sick, uh, they're even casting out demons. And we're seeing amazing things that God is doing. And you have helped us get started by doing that. Well, it's an opportunity that rarely comes to anyone. I feel that it is a special blessing from God to have been a part of this. And I want my children, my grandchildren, great-grandchildren to know how important this has been in my life. How does it make you feel also to know that your involvement in this has produced spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, even in these last two or three years? I feel like that I don't deserve it, but I'm pleased to be a part of it. And when I think about the people anywhere that have not heard this story, then I want to do everything I can to see that they get it, and I don't know of a better way. There are three women who are illiterate in a difficult country, difficult to bring the gospel to, but they have been equipped to take a little simple audio player, a little MP3 player, and push play for the next Bible story, and then to help ask the same simple questions. By doing that, they have started 40 churches in these last two years. And these churches are helping their community, they're helping the poor, uh, they're helping the sick. And that's because you help provide training and they train the people from inside the society who are now passing it on. They're contagiously passing it on and training others. And, and it's very powerful because it doesn't rely on the outsider. We, we help stimulate it. We help train the initial leaders, but then we train them to train leaders, and they train leaders, and they train leaders. And uh, your investment has really helped do that. I'm very thankful because you have the great vision to say, I want to spend my prayer and my finances to bring the gospel where it's never been. This story that you're telling me today helps me to tell my friends 
This is what I've been doing when you wondered what I was reading and what I was interested in, the programs that I was attending and what it meant to me that you did not understand, but now you have a way of knowing where, where I was and what I was doing and why I was doing it. We feel like the Lord has, has told us to, in this year, raise up $2 million so we can take what has already worked and expand it significantly. And in the next five years, 20 more million dollars. And you have been a very big part of that, and I'm very grateful for that. As I am 102, nearly 103, how could I pass up such an opportunity? I think that my friends, when they hear this story, will understand me better because the investments in this are eternal. And so I don't know of any other investment that would be equal to that or even compared to it in any way. This, what we're talking about today, is an opportunity that I don't want my friends to miss. Where else could they find such an investment? One of the things that is amazing about this first two million that we're trying to raise is that the four, first 417,000 of it will be matched by another 417,000. If someone gives 100,000, it'll immediately become 200,000. It's hard to pass up. That's hard to pass up. <laughs> and it will be one that will be eternal. It won't end when they go to heaven. And most of the things that we leave behind lose value the moment we step in heaven. It came to me in the okay. middle of the night. I think that's good. Opportunities Thanks. are blessings. Well, quite a difference, isn't it, from Charles Walt, who kind of ended up just focusing on his own life, to Virginia Cronley, who had an attitude of wanting to give life on an ongoing basis to people so that they could have eternal life. Well, you guessed it this morning, we are talking about money. And let me assure you, it's okay. Uh, in fact, Roy even asked me. He said, when you're coming, let's uh, fit this into my series and God and money. And so we're focusing on the exciting call to generosity. You know, it's interesting, though, as we sometimes uh, have separated, unfortunately, our finances and our walk with Christ. It's interesting to see, though, that Jesus, in his teachings, he taught on money some 16 out of his 38 parables. And so it's only wise, I think, that we also, 
integrate that into the life of discipleship and to see how best it would fit in with our um, uh, conversation about discipleship as well. So I invite you this morning to just allow the Spirit to work and to move in our lives and uh, hopefully uh, at the end of the service we can say with Paul, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, today I want to basically lay out two truths and I want to debunk three myths related to money. And, and the first truth is that the way we approach our money reflects our hearts and determines our approach to life. This can be clearly seen in a passage of scripture, scripture in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And here it says, Do not store, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and, weather, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. <clears throat> Let me ask you this morning, where's your treasure? Where is our heart this morning? Where is our attention given uh, as we think about different things? What is it that we talk about at coffee? Whatever it is, this thing or this object is a good indication that that's our treasure. I have this morning a $20 bill, but think about it and you say, oh, that's a $20 bill. But if I had a $100 bill or let's say several $100 bills, it may get a little bit more of our attention. And it could even be that for some of us, we would start to think about that and wonder about it and say, boy, I wouldn't mind having several hundred dollar bills in my pocket. And it's interesting when we think about money that so many times we think about the numerical number on it over against what is said on the backside. It says, in God we trust. Randy Elkhorn says, there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle our money. So the first truth is that the way we approach our money reflects our hearts and determines our approach to life. There's a second truth, and that is that generosity isn't natural, but it's essential for living. At various times I have met people, and you meet people, who I would say have the gift of giving. There's a need, and they just spontaneously respond. They're there, and they say, how can I help? Romans 12.8 suggests that we each have different gifts, and if our gift is contributing to the needs of others, then it says we should give generously. However, I also think generosity is somewhat unique in the fact that while some of us may have a gift of giving and being generous, all of us, I believe, are called to be generous. 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 7 says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, See that you excel in the grace of giving. When we excel in our giving, it indicates to me that it's proactive, that it's intentional, that we're thinking and we're praying about ways that we can be involved in sharing. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, Watch out, 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so it's saying that there's going to be things that prevent us along the way from being generous and having this generous spirit. Romans 1.25 makes a pretty harsh statement when Paul says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. So could we say that our lack of generosity reveals who or what we're worshiping or serving, that that has taken the place of this generous spirit that God wants to instill within each of us. Two Notre Dame psychologists wrote a book called The Paradox of Generosity. And in it, they provided empirical evidence that people who are generous with their money, time, and associations are happier and healthier and more resilient than their less uh, um, generous counterparts. Studies on giving and philanthropy have also stated that those who give may live longer. And I'm thinking of the video we just saw of Virginia Crowley, 103 years of age. Do you think that could have maybe contributed to her long life? I don't know, but it's something to think about. Have to think of Paul's word in Acts 20, 35, when he's reviewing his life as he spent among the Ephesians people, and he says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And how many remember that as growing up when our parents reminded us when we grabbed something and said it's mine, hey, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's kind of stuck around for a while. Well, in this statement quoted by Paul, Jesus was not just referring to a one-time act. Really, he was saying that one is blessed to live a life that is generous. And we sense that in Virginia's story. Let me ask, have you ever met an unhappy, generous person? Think about it. Anyone ever met an unhappy, generous person? That's kind of an oxymoron. You don't see that happening because people that are oftentimes generous seem to overall have a little bit different perspective on life, don't they? Yet in spite of this truth, Notre Dame psychologists found that only 2.7% of Americans give 10% or more of their income to charity. So maybe that's why sometimes we're not that happy <laughs> because uh, of that very fact. We maybe fall, some of us may fall into that 2.7%. Let me ask, what comes most natural to us, keeping or giving? When we get that unexpected tax return, when we have something from the FSA office that comes unexpectedly, or maybe when we receive an inheritance, is it easier to keep and hold on to or to release? No, a number of years ago, as my mother was, was aging, my wife and I knew that at some point we could receive some inheritance. And so we began to talk about that if and when that happened, if there was something, what would we do with it? Well, three years ago, my mother died, and there was some inheritance that came our way. And I'm glad we had some conversation about that. 
Because all at once when you get a check, it's like, oh, I think I'm going to hold on to that. But it was interesting. We'd had some conversation about how we wanted to do things that we wanted to do kingdom-wise that if we had these resources, yeah, we'd love to do something. And so now we're being tested in that. And it's been fun to also be a part of that, but I'm glad that we talked about it because it could have been very easy just to hold on. I would submit to you that the number one antidote to materialism is generosity. Will Davis Jr. put it this way, materialism is the smog that is choking our spiritual life. Now, we don't have much smog out here in South Dakota, but you've been to places where there is, and you can see that. But materialism is like that. It's choking us, he says. Generosity, he says, is the wind that will blow the smog away. Kind of a picturesque idea. If we want to be like our Father, Christ, we will strive toward generosity. And so we need to change our posture from one of closed fist and rigidity to open hands. And I'd like for you to do something right now. Just take your hands and put them out in front of you and now tighten them up. Just, just get them tight. Now, how does that feel? Is that a good feeling? <laughs> now just kind of relax. Ah, boy, boy, that feels better, doesn't it? You know, to have, it just relaxes the whole system. And in a symbolic way, that's a little bit, as we live life with open hands, it has a different effect on us than if we live life in a closed fist arrangement. I'm sure there's lots of reasons why um, one desires to move away from generosity, but I would suggest this morning there are three myths um, that uh, are at work and, and I'd like to share three myths which are adapted from the work by uh, Annalee Stanley that have maybe prevented us from being generous. Myth number one, generosity is a one-time event. Sometimes we've fallen into thinking generosity is just a one-time deal. We see reports, we hear reports, someone gave an awful lot to some sports program or something like that, and we go, wow, that person is generous. But I would suggest that generosity isn't always defined by big events. We see generosity define the life of Jesus. And yes, there was the big event where he gave himself on the cross for us. But think of his whole life that was demonstrated by generous acts of who he spent time with. He wasn't in a rush of who he hung out with of how he arranged his schedule. He was generous in so many ways. Likewise, generosity should be a defining characteristic of discipleship. We live in a world of logos and of uh, all kinds of other marketing uh, activities and so forth. And I would suggest this morning that generosity was the logo, the fabric that that held Jesus' life together. And so I would ask us, if people were to describe us as what is it that characterizes us? What's our logo? Is it that of generosity or is it of something else? Myth number two, when I become rich, then I will be generous. 
or it will be easy to be generous when I obtain a certain financial net worth. When we realize generosity isn't a one-time event, it also helps us understand it isn't defined by a certain amount of money, nor does it happen automatically when I reach a certain level. Rather, it's a character issue. Jesus makes no distinction between rich and poor when encouraging a life of generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul is using the Macedonians as an example. And here he says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul doesn't highlight how much they gave. He highlights their joy. He highlights their sacrifice and generosity. Even though they were not rich, he says they gave significantly. Some of you have traveled to third world countries. I've been there too, and it's always interesting when you step into a hut or when you step into someone else's home. Oftentimes, individuals are very generous, and they give sacrificially. And when I leave, I go, man, I I, I wish I could kind of adopt that, that attitude. It's just an interesting thing. Well, related to myth number two is really myth number three, and that is that generosity is measured by how much you give. Let me clarify. How much we give does matter, but not for the reason we oftentimes think. It isn't about the amount of money. It's about the amount of sacrifice. When Jesus pointed out the widow that gave all she had to the temple treasury in Luke chapter 21, he wasn't highlighting the amount of her gift. He was highlighting her attitude, her character, her trademark showed through. She had a sacrificial attitude. And in Luke chapter 21, 1 through 4, we read, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her, out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. A powerful illustration of just seeing what generosity means and the fact that Oh, when I be, that generosity is not measured on how much I give. So how did she give more? Not more money, but more sacrifice. We also want to say that God works out the math. He does the math, great math uh, figuring here as he sees people's hearts. About 14 years ago, um, that was before we lived in Hillsborough, you've no doubt had heard that the Hillsborough Envy Church burned on a Sunday. I mean, literally burned. And uh, as a result of that, it really uh, was, a, was a major hit for many people in that community. This was a church that they'd been a part of. It was a church that had weddings and funerals and dedications and all those things that go on in a facility. As one little boy was watching the fire of the building and the building just disintegrate before him, he left the scene and he ran home and he got some coins out of his piggy bank. And he came running back and he said to one of the leaders and extended them to him and he said, I want to help build the next church. And he gave those coins and that was the beginning of the building fund for the Hillsborough MB Church. 
You know, it's interesting how children lead us in that illustration of generosity and how generosity is a quality that all of us are amazed by and ministered to when we hear it. Well, this morning I hope all of us can remember that generosity isn't a one-time event, but it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that was illustrated by Jesus. That generosity isn't defined by the size of our nest egg or how much you give, but whether um, we need to hold on to the truths that we said here, that the way we approach our money reflects our heart, and that generosity isn't natural, it's essential. And I think as we look at how do we move into that mode, it really does take intentionality of daily just going against the grain as even Romans speaks about, don't let the world press you into the mold, but instead relying on the Holy Spirit to move us beyond that, to look beyond where we currently are in the commercialism of the world around us. I think it also means that we intentionally have our mind fixed on um, the concept of generosity. And one of the things that we want to give to you at the close of the service is the seven-day generosity challenge. And every day there's a devotional that you can read and you can uh, soak and there's some questions in there. And, and maybe it can help uh, just simply uh, stimulate each of us to think more of what does it mean today to have this generous spirit? And then next week, I understand there may be some uh, life groups or small groups that will uh, get together and discuss this as kind of part of what you do when you get together. And there's some questions that we've passed on to Pastor Roy for that. And you can use that as simply a way of kind of challenging yourself in reference to this whole journey of, of generosity. I, I just want to affirm you as a church, because as I mingle among you and connect in various different ways, I sense that... You are a generous church, and uh, you give um, just, just continually in so many ways. But I think we can always continually challenge ourselves to see if we are in stride with where God wants us to be. And may this help us to continually um, move in that direction of being known as spirit people of, of generosity. Let's have a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.